Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to part two of our current event weekly Bible study for November 25th, 2007. And this is going to be moving on to a different subject here. I received a battle cry uh, from Chick Tracks. Uh, they have a uh, monthly, or bi-month, or not bi-monthly, but every two months they have a newsletter. And um, this is the newest one that just came out. And the, one of the first articles they have in here is entitled, New Pope Pushing for Mother of the World. Now, I like to cover current events on things that are really going to be impacting us, particularly in the future, with the one world religion and these types of things. Um, I think you can probably see how the last thing we talked about will ultimately end up impacting us. And um, this is something also that, that's going to affect us in the future. This article goes on to say, the new Pope continues the tradition of pushing the Roman Catholic Virgin Mary goddess as the unifying force in the world. See, this whole thing about Mary worship, this isn't just some little, like, fluffy issue. This is something that's going to become more and more and more, uh, something that we're actually facing more and more in the future as Christians. In September, this Pope toured several of the Marian shrines in Europe, speaking of the significance of the Mother God, the Mother of God. In her maternal love, Mary, and this is quoting from him, this Pope Benedict or whatever he is, in her maternal love, Mary continues to take under her protection people of all languages and cultures to lead them together within a multiform unity to Christ. In our problems, and needs, we can turn to Mary. End of quote. Wow, I, I need to see the book, chapter, and verse on that one, because I just must have, missed, must have totally missed that in my Bible. Never in my Bible does it say that we can turn to Mary in any way, shape, or form to have any... She figures in no way in regard to salvation. Yet, the Catholic Church would have you believe that she figures in in a, in a way bigger than even Christ himself figures in. The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and it doesn't mention Mary. But notice that he's saying that this is going to lead all these cultures and things together in multiform unity to Christ. So it's all about the one world religion. It's all about these other religions coming underneath the, the great whore of the Catholic Church in unity together. In this statement, we see how Mary, how the Mary goddess is positioned between man and Christ. Instead of trusting Christ alone, the people are encouraged to trust Mary instead. We also see how Mary is moving to bring all languages and cultures together. And, and if you are trusting in the supposed Mary, what you're trusting in is a demon, a devil, or a fallen angel that is, that is basically becoming an imposter of the Mary in the Bible. Okay? How is she doing this? So how is this Mary moving to bring all languages and cultures together? How is she doing this? Through special visions called apparitions. According to the book Queen of All by Jim Tedelo, Roger Oakland and Brad Myers, it was a, I guess it has three authors. Let's go to page 12 here. Now you can get the, this newsletter also online. It, it comes out online. Um, they send it on print format. and you can If you go to chick.com, uh, they have the tracks and the things that we're going to be talking about today. It's all available up there. So, this Mary appears as a living, breathing, three-dimensional lady in these apparitions, in exquisite light. 
Okay, now this is happening all over the world, all the time, pretty much, anymore. According to the visionaries and seers that see her, through these, she speaks her messages to the world, and it's getting more and more prevalent as the end-time delusion gets set further and further in motion. This end-times delusion is allowing, and this delusion that God predicted that he would send in Second Thessalonians, the strong delusion that they would believe a lie, that they might all be damned, who receive not the love of the truth. I believe that as we head further and further into the end times, these are going to become more and more and more prevalent. Um, a consistent message given by the thousands of apparitions currently manifesting worldwide is one of peace. It's always one of peace. But isn't, how that, isn't that how the Antichrist is going to come? He's going to come as a man of peace, for, for the most part, for the first three and a half years. And then in the second three and a half, he's going to really show his fangs. But he's going to come subtly as a man of peace. Most likely, he's going to come and be the one that has the final solution to the Middle East crisis. He's going to be the one that probably ends World War III. He's going to confirm the covenant for seven years, or a week, as Daniel's in reference to, with the nation of Israel and these other nations, probably some type of peace treaty. And he's going to come as a man of peace. And, and you see, a lot of what we're, we talk about with these types of false movements are a lot about, they emphasize peace, unity, and tolerance. So you got to, you, a Christianity is, is, is no good because it says there's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So there's only one way through, through Bible-believing Christianity, and that is unacceptable to the one-world religion. He describes in detail messages and circumstances of some of the more famous appearances, such as Fatima, Medjugorje, and Lourdes, and mentions many others. Using quotations, he describes how this Lady of Light invites worship, encourages praying the rosary, and other Roman Catholic rituals. Well, you know right there, it's a devil... If that, if that, whatever that was, was truly going to point somebody to the truth, they'd be pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to Mary. And wouldn't it be pointing them to this false religious system that's only going to damn people to hell? And this apparition always speaks repeatedly of world peace through unity of all religions. Now there's a book, not a book, there's a video out also, um, that documents this, and the video will actually goes to a lot of these places where these apparitions are taking places. It's called Messages from Heaven. I actually have an email I've, I've put out on this, and you can actually go up there and watch the movie, I believe, online as well, and buy it if you want to. And it goes into all this, and it's just irrefutable, and it does it in a way, very actually, a very gentle way. Um, but it compares what these apparitions are saying to what the Bible says. And you're going to see there's so much contradiction. Now, these types of gatherings with Catholics are taking place all over the world. And, um, personally, from, from my standpoint, I have always felt heavily compelled to go to these types of pray, places and actually pray against these evil type of manifestations. I guess I've just had it up I've had enough of, of seeing all these things take place, knowing I know they're going to happen to a large extent. But the fact that these things go on, and Satan is getting the glory, and all these people are being deluded, you know what would really be great? 
as if some Bible-believing Christians would go to these places and come against this junk. Not like the Pentecostals do, where they go and they're, they're so far off base most of the time. Because I know because I've been there and done it with that thing. But I'm talking about Bible-believing Christians that actually go on-site to these types of places and pray against this, and possibly fast, and, and come against this. Okay, which is biblical. We're going to be talking a little bit more about this today as, uh, as well. Um, and if, if you would even actually, uh, because I, I really felt for a long time that I, I felt heavily compelled to do this. If you would pray actually for, I don't know if what you would ever call this Bible study, this ministry, for something like a travel trailer or something that, that we could actually have, where I could actually go to these places and do this more readily, um, I would appreciate that. Um, and this is something that I would encourage others to do as well. I would, I would encourage you to do it and go, particularly with a minimum of two people, because that's biblical in the New Testament. They, he sent them out in twos. And to go to these places and come against this stuff. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. And I guess it just grieves me to see these types of things going on. And really, when these types of things go on, there's really no Christian presence there to do anything about any of this. And really, I believe there's... Uh, and I'm not saying everybody's called to this type of ministry, but I think that... that um, Obviously, this is grievous in God's eyes. Obviously, this is a tool that Satan is using mightily to deceive many, and he's going to continue to deceive many. Obviously, know that the Antichrist is going to come with all lying signs and wonders. And that if it were possible, even they shall deceive the very elect. Okay? Now, I had a lady this week get on me about not quoting that whole verse where it, where it says, if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. You have to ask yourself this question. Is it possible for you today to be deceived about something as a born-again Christian? I think we'd all have to answer in the affirmative there. Yes. Well, I guarantee you there's things all of us sitting here listening to this are deceived about even this very day. This is the greatest time of deception the world has ever known. There's probably going to be things we learn about this week that we didn't know that we were deceived about. So sure, it's possible for any of us to be deceived, whether we're saved or not. So yes, it's possible. It's just a matter of, okay, let's find out the truth so that we're not deceived. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Let Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we don't want to be ignorant of his devices, and they're... His devices are flowing greater now than they've ever flowed before. So going back to this article, it says, The Queen of All includes chapters showing that, quote, This Queen is not just a Roman Catholic phenomenon, but apparitions of her are occurring in countries dominated by other religions as well. Isn't that interesting? A similar goddess is prominent in Islam and major Eastern religions. Well, I've heard... I've heard that the, the Islamic people have had a lot of these actual sightings and Hindus of the Catholic Mary. See, to most other pagan religions, one other goddess appearing to them is just one in their, in their many pantheon. Now, it's not so much that way with Islam. But with Hinduism or Buddhism, it would be. Just one other goddess that they can kind of incorporate into their pantheon of gods with a little g that they worship. 
But this is happening in order to set the stage for the one world religion. Because if you have Mary appearing to people of other religions, bringing them into the fold, as the Catholics would talk about, it's going to be much easier um, if she's already been appearing to them prior to the one world, one world religion being implemented. Because they're already going to have seen her. Or this devil. To further connect the dots, David Daniels describes the evolution of goddess worship from Semiramis in early Babylon to the present universal veneration in every major and most minor religions. His book, Babylon Religion, shows how Semiramis becomes Ashtaroth, who became Isis in Egypt, who became the Roman Venus, and then the Greek Aphrodite, and then on to the Virgin Mary of Roman Catholicism. See, that's all this is. It's just being repackaged over and over. Even stories and the symbols of the Aztec goddess of magic, Tuquesacotl, are similar to those of the witches and goddesses of Europe. Solomon concluded in the book of Ecclesiastes that there was nothing new under the sun. Daniel and Tetelo show that this modern lady of modern-day lady of light, who claims to be the Virgin Mary of the Bible, is nothing more than a demonic imposter who has been busy fooling mankind for thousands of years. As Bible believers, we need to go and expose the strong delusion. We need to see, we need to seed our communities with tracts, and these are very good tracts, like Why is Mary Crying, Last Rites, Death Cookie, and Our Roman Catholics Christians. I've read all these tracts, and I believe they're very accurate and they're very good. Now, the thing about it is, um, well, he goes on to say, these will open the eyes of those who are trapped in the bondage to the Pope. No, I would have to qualify that statement. With prayer, there's the potential that these will open the eyes. Because, let's face it, most people's eyes are not going to be opened. The Bible says, narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Okay, but some will, but I believe that you really need to pray prior to giving these tracts out or putting them out. Uh, because it's a spiritual battle you're in. It's not just a matter of giving somebody a track. If, if, if the prince of this world has blinded their eyes that they do not see, which is what the Bible says... Well, you could give somebody a track, but it's not going to do any good unless you unless you you know pray about it. So uh, I think that's very important. These tracks will also help to warn others who might be stopped to listen, who might who might be stopping to listen to the seductions of this prostitute church. And for anyone who expresses an interest in learning more, be sure to get the books by Daniels and Tedlow. So they've got some really good resources at uh, at Chick. Now, let's go to, let's see here. Kind of got to go back and forth here in this little booklet. Now, this next story that relates to this story about the Catholic Church is entitled, Poor Mother Teresa. Good works, but no faith. Mother Teresa to the world, the epitome of humility and saintliness. She was honored by popes, presidents, and with a Nobel Peace Prize. And again, the Bible says, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Okay? Whenever anyone in this world, or any magazine or organization, is, is giving great honor to anyone, you have to stop and think, you know, <laughs> this is something I probably want to stay away from. So, but recently, but a recently published book of her personal letters reveals a troubled soul. As early as 1953... She wrote, now this is from her own writings, this Mother Teresa lady, There is such a terrible darkness within me, as if everything is dead, 
End of quote. She started writing this as early as 1953. You know what? She was right. She was absolutely right. Terrible darkness within me, as if everything was dead. I couldn't have said it better. This darkness was the demonic infestation that possessed her through the open doors created by her false Catholic religion. Because when you participate in these types of religions, there's doors that open. Spiritual doors. And it's essentially like, you know, adopt the demon. You're going to invite these things to infest you. And the longer you stay in it, the more infested you're going to get. The Bible says, He that hath the Spirit hath life. And this is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he that hath not the Spirit hath not life. She did not have the Holy Spirit inside her. That is why she said, made this quote, There is a terrible darkness within me. As if everything was dead. Now, if you feel that way, and you call yourself a born-again Christian, you really need to check things out, because you shouldn't feel that way. Okay? I don't feel that way, I'm sorry, but I, I, I can't relate to what she's saying. She continually referred to her, quote, darkness in her writings. And to Jesus, listen to this, she referred to Jesus in her writings as, quote, the absent one. End of quote. The absent one? Yeah, because he had no part in her. He was absent from her life. She had enough spiritual discernment to know this. But see, a Catholic like her, who is like the queen of working your way to heaven, if you think about it. I mean, she's like the, the modern day, this is our example that we need to follow. The modern day example of a Catholic following, you know. And even she herself says she was, that she felt full of darkness. Everything that was in her was dead. And that Jesus was the absent one. And he was, because you cannot work your way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's what Catholics do. They try to work their way to heaven, and you can't do it. They say, by grace, through faith, through Jesus Christ. She goes on to say... Um, she wrote in 1979, quote, The silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear, end of quote. Now, what, what, can we, what Bible verse can we quote to, to give light to this? Well, I just quoted it earlier. The prince of this world has blinded their eyes that they do not see. Okay? When, you, when you're in idolatry and paganism and a cult like she's in, you're going to get to a point where you're going to feel empty inside. You're not going to see, you're not going to listen, and you're not going to hear. You're not going to be able to. You're going to become like the idols that you serve. Like the Bible talks about, you know, these idols. They have eyes they do not see. They have ears they do not hear. They have mouths but they cannot speak. You're going to become like the thing that you worship. And let's face it, in Catholicism they worship a whole lot of idols. That's big business for them. In fact, that's the commandment that they removed out of the Bible. The Catholics removed the second commandment about bowing yourself down to graven images. And what they did is they split the tenth commandment in two, so they still got ten commandments. And I can give you the literature on that. You're just do a keyword search on the internet. And you find it. I mean, that's what they've done. But yet, you know, that's okay, evidently. This is a common thread in her private communications until her death in 1997. So she felt this way all the time. 
Since the publication of this book, of her private struggle, the world has wondered how such a, quote, saint could feel such spiritual darkness. Some have praised her for her, her humanitarian work, as, as if that should have given her light for her soul. She claimed that one Roman Catholic counselor brought her some relief with the idea that she was simply sharing in the suffering of Jesus on the cross when he felt abandoned and cried, My God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? You know, how, how prideful and arrogant to really say that. You know, these, these Catholics, they have to always be able to take God's glory for everything. Because, see, they're earning their way to supposedly heaven. Or really, I guess they're earning their way to purgatory, and then they'll be bought out of there. You know, if they say enough masses for them, and give enough money to the Catholic Church. That's what they, what they believe. So, this is what one of her counselors were saying to her. That she was just sharing in the suffering of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, this is, this is the type of, of stuff that they believe. Um, let's go further. The Vatican teaches that our suffering can add to, quote, the treasury of merit. This is this treasury of merit established by Jesus and contributed to by those who have suffered in the world. This is a teaching based on the misinterpretation of Colossians 1.24. The treasury of merit. David C. Cloud of the Way of Life Ministries followed the career of Mother Teresa for many years. He has said all along that, quote, she was a faithful daughter of Rome and that her Jesus was the way for God of the Roman Catholic Mass and that her gospel was universalism. Several times in her speeches she would state the importance of having a priest to turn the wafer into the body, the blood and divinity of Jesus. Well, I wonder why she felt so empty. You talk about something blasphemous. Her gospel, uh, her gospel was the gospel of universalism. At one point when asked if she was attempted to convert the homeless that she ministered to, she said, quote, of course. I convert, I convert you to a better Hindu, or to a better Muslim, or a better Protestant. Once you found God, it's up to you, it's up to you to decide how to worship Him. That's what she was quoted saying. You talk about one of the worst examples you could possibly follow ever. And yet she's honored as highest among, you know, modern day women. She went straight to hell and, and I guarantee it took a ton of people with her. ton of people that put their faith in her. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And when she says, I'm I would convert you to a better Hindu or a better Muslim, there's no such thing. You're either going to heaven or hell, and there's no such thing as being a better Muslim or a better Hindu, or a better Protestant even, for that matter. Once you've found God, it's up to you, it's up to, you to decide how to worship Him? Uh, no, I think it's up to what the Bible says. If you're a true born-again Christian, you do what the Bible says. But evidently, anything went with her. Kind of your choice. She obviously had bought into the idea that all religions ultimately led to God. Mother Teresa's a sad example of how religions based on ritual leave the people with a darkness of soul. She was in, 
intimately acquainted with the major religions of the East, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and probably even some of Islam. Yet she did not find in them any light for her darkness. Their rituals were as spiritually hollow as those of her Roman Catholicism. There's only two religions in the world. Only two. Because people say, what about this and what about this religion? How do you know they're not? Just boil it down. Say, hey, listen. There's only two religions. Bible-believing Christianity and all the other isms. Hinduism, Buddhism, Catholicism, all these other isms. And they all have one thing in common, all the isms. You get to wherever you're trying to get to, whether that's paradise, whether they call it nirvana, whether they call it heaven, whether they call it hell. If you're a Satanist, it would be hell. You get to wherever you're trying to get to through your works. Through being a good Buddhist or a good Hindu or a good Satanist or a good Catholic. It's all by your own supposed righteousness. And the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6 that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags and we are all together as an unclean thing in God's eyes. And that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Okay? We... Our best day in God's eyes, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, is a filthy rag. Not by works of righteousness are we saved, but according to His mercy He saved us. That's said in Titus. So, that's the common denominator. Whereas Bible-believing Christianity says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Okay? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For ye are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what the Bible says. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You're saved by faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sins and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved. And when you repent as a Roman Catholic, you need to repent of all these, these works you've done, which are filthy rags in God's sight, and they are counted for as but dung in God's eyes. You need to, you need to count those works as but dung. Because if you don't, and you, and you try to go to the Lord and bring any of this self-righteousness with you, it's not going to work. Pride goes before fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction. And that is pride. Okay, thinking that I can bring anything to Jesus, and that it will be worthy and acceptable to Him, and that will garner and grant me any kind of way into heaven. It doesn't work that way. God will share His glory with no one. So, that's the difference between the two religions of the world. You can make it real simple and boil it down to that. So if we go further, let's see, where did I leave off here? So regarding Mother Teresa, yet her fame contributed to the bondage that kept her from seeing the true light of the world. Because she was very, very famous. And Jesus of the Bible, not her wafer God, Jesus. Many years ago, a sincere and faithful servant of the Pope struggled for half a lifetime with the contradictions between his church and his Bible. Finally, he determined to reject their traditions of Rome and stand on the Bible alone. That man was Charles Chikinery. The book he wrote was entitled 50 Years in the Church of Rome. And they sell that at Chick. And you can buy it. This, this book describes his struggles in detail. 
Although written in the middle of the 19th century, it is still a useful description of the bondage holding the billion people who are members of the church that never changes. Because the Catholic Church is never going to change. They're always going to be of the devil. The book is available from Chick Publications along with several others designed to help the soul winners see that lost Roman Catholics need to be introduced to the real Jesus Christ. We must not be deceived by those who say that they are born again Catholics. If they have not come out from under the Pope, they, they still, like Mother Teresa, worship a way for Jesus and trust in the Virgin Mary Goddess to get them into heaven. Now, I had mentioned before about the Marian apparitions being seen by other religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam. But there's another part of, of Christianity that I was very familiar with as well, being in the Pentecostal Church, called Charismatic Catholics, that are... Uh, that's the part of the Catholic Church that's basically yoking up with the Pentecostals. Okay, and the Charismatics in particular. And, you know, speaking in tongues and these types of things. Signs and wonders. And that's what all this is all about. And the Catholics are like, you know, the, the fountainhead for the line signs and wonders. So that appeals to the Charismatics in that way. I can even remember one of these Charismatic Catholics coming to my Bible study when I was in the Pentecostal Church. And the moment I said anything about the Catholic Church, he was gone. Gone. Didn't matter how much truth I put in front of him. Yes, I was deceived on many levels. Of course, that was when I was really getting my eyes opened as well. But he didn't want to hear about it. These people are so blind about things. It's just, it's, it's, it's a spiritual battle is all I can really say. So, I think... Um Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and just finish out with a couple more topics here that we have here. And um, we'll go from the. Actually, I've got a few more topics here. But this next little thing from Chick is entitled U.S. Prisons Recruiting Muslim Chaplains. One of the most disturbing developments in Islam's drive to conquer the world is its intrusion and acceptance into the U.S. prisons. No statistics could be found of how the many inmates claim Islam as their religion, but California alone has 30 full and part-time Muslim chaplains. Terry Thompson, spokeswoman for the California Department of Corrections, said that these civil service employees who undergo background checks must adhere to mainstream Islam. This illustrates the continued confusion over the basic nature of Islam. Many leaders in the Western world are trying to portray Islam as basically a peaceful religion. They say that it's only a fringe of radicals who are behind this worldwide jihad of terror. But a careful check of the book behind Islam, the Quran, we find that radicals are only carrying out the dictates of Allah as revealed to Muhammad, plain as day. In the Quran, in their book Surah 4, 101, it says, quote, Surely the unbelievers are your open enemy. And then in Surah 8.12 it says, I will cast tear into the hearts of those who disbelieve. Therefore strike off their heads and strike off every fingertip of them. So, the, the Quran is very clear that you kill and you slay the infidels. Now, I've got a whole email I've put out on this where we just quote from the Quran. Kill the infidels, slay the infidels, show them no mercy. That's it. That's what the Quran commands. Now, if they're going to be fundamental to their faith, the only ones that are really being fundamental are the guys that are strapping pipe bombs on their backs and running in. Because they believe that if you do this, you'll um, go straight to paradise and dwell there with 99 virgins or whatever. They're actually being fundamental to the faith of Islam. 
Okay, these other ones that say Islam is a religion of peace are just deluded, and they're not even reading the Quran. Nowhere in the Quran is there any mercy specified toward unbelievers. Some leaders point to Turkey, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia as mainstream Islam. Yet, where is the outrage in these communities when the, quote, fringe radicals blow up innocent patrons of, of um, Israeli restaurants? We must ask, quote, where is your Muslim book that teaches this mainstream Islam? It, is, it certainly cannot be the Quran, for it clearly teaches jihad, which is to make holy war with the unbelievers. It teaches jihad, world conquest, and that unbelievers are, con are either converted or killed. That's what, that's what it says. Many publications have come out exposing the true nature of Islam. Some recently released by Chick publications. And they've got a lot of good resources for Islam. They've got some good tracks. Um, these include Christ, Muhammad, and I, and that's the name of the book, and The Anatomy of the Quran. These clearly explain the radical nature of the whole structure of Islam. The Quran is exposed as a confusing tangle of contradictory teachings. Now remember, God is not the author of confusion. And the Quran contradicts itself at many points and places. From that standpoint, therefore alone, you know it's not of God. And the God of the Quran is, this Allah, is not the God of the Bible. As President Bush would have you believe, or, or all these other people that say that it's the same thing. It's not. Allah is the moon god. Okay? And, again, I can send you this email that gets into that in detail. I really don't have time to get into it all today. But, um, the Quran, these contradictory teachings in the Quran primarily focus on satisfying the cravings of Muhammad for bloody revenge and his conquest of nations as well as beautiful young women. From the track, The Men of Peace, which is a tract that Chick has for Islam. I'm reading from this page, and it says, Allah and his false angel Gabriel changed Muhammad into a religious dictator who showed no mercy. Terror gripped unbelieving friends and relatives because later verses in the Quran ordered their deaths. During these raids, Muhammad kidnapped beautiful women and held them for ransom, and he amassed a fortune. This became the pattern for Muslim conquest. See, it was just one more religion created, and actually this religion was actually created by the Catholic Church. Did you know that? That Islam was actually created by the Catholic Church. Okay? Chick has a whole little um, book booklet on this, the, on the Crusader series, and I believe it's called, uh, I forget, The Prophet? And it shows a guy on a horse and he's got his Islamic flag. And it tells you how the Catholic Church actually created the Muslim religion. On page 102, um, well actually let's go further. Then another page from this, this little track reads, Murder and plunder and rape of the unbelievers became lawful. See, under religion you can justify anything. That's how the Catholic Inquisition basically um, justified killing all those millions of people and torturing them in the most horrific possible way. None of that is condoned in the Bible. But they had popes and other guys overriding the Bible, and they didn't go by the Bible anyway. It was just a farce and a fake to believe that they ever went by any kind of biblical tenets. And that's how they justified killing all these people, in the name of God. In this, in this case, it was in the name of Allah. Murder and plunder and rape of the unbelievers became lawful. Unforgiving Allah used hate, fear, and death to create the Islamic Empire. 
While robbing one caravan, Muhammad tortured a wealthy man, forcing his beautiful wife, Sapphira, to watch in horror while sitting on Muhammad's lap. Then what do you think he did? After they, after they took her husband, tortured him in front of his wife, who was sitting on Muhammad's lap, then he went and raped this woman. That's the Muhammad of the Quran. On page 102 of this one book, um, referring to the radical verses of the Quran, these verses which fill the Quran incite the Muslims to fight, scatter, torture, and butcher all who disobey Muhammad or refuse to embrace Islam or Muslims who abandon Islam. Today, in any Muslim-dominated country, anyone who converts from Islam must face the possibility of death, sometimes by members of his own family. Surah 489 of the Quran says, quote, But if they turn back from following Allah, then seize them and kill them wherever you find them. End of quote. Oh, that's, yeah, these are real men of peace. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Now, ultimately, if you turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're bound for the, for the lake of fire, ultimately. But I don't see any mandate in the Bible saying, well, if, if they turn back, if, if, they, if they're apostate, you know, you go and kill them. It's ridiculous. Prison officials who welcome Muslim chaplains because they represent mainstream Islam are woefully uninformed of the fact that the radicals are the only true Muslims according to the Quran. See, they're the only true Muslims that are being fundamental to the faith of Islam. It would be like a biblical, Bible-believing Christian following his Bible. That's what these ones that are strapping on the, 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 these bombs on their back and running, they're actually being fundamental to their faith. In addition to the books mentioned above, Chick Publications is also releasing a new tract on Islam called Unforgiven, about a young man who converts to Islam in prison. In this story, his grandfather explains the contrast between trusting Christ for salvation and Islam's religious bondage. If he refuses Christ, he will receive the same sentence on Judgment Day as Muhammad, which is, you know, the lake of fire. International Islam is taking advantage of America's open society and anti-discrimination laws to recruit gullible young men in the prison system primarily. Their goal is to convert or destroy all non-Muslim cultures. This is a new kind of war. Now, I'm not saying that, that this is going to be the main total threat in the future. I think we're going to, I mean, obviously the Bible, we're going to have a one world religion, one world government, one world political system. It's just not going to all be Islam. Okay? Islam is going to come underneath the mantle of the Catholic Church. But they're still going to be as demon-possessed as they were when they were purely in Islam. Okay? But, obviously, this is a threat and there's things that we need to uh, be aware of and pray about. Uh, this is a new kind of war that the Muslims are waging. The Quran stipulates no mercy for any unbeliever who refuses to convert, and in the rules of engagement, anything goes. For soul winners, our rule is simple. Go, make disciples. No other way can, be, can this war be won. Now, let's go to the next story. Next news report here. Uh, they've also come out with a new Crusader uh, little magazine that shows why... Mormonism is not Christian. Okay, so this is about the Mormons. Is Mormonism a Christian religion? A Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life recently put this question to over 3,000 adults in the U.S. 52% said yes. Mormonism is Christian. That's how discerning the, the Christian population is. This is not surprising among the general populace. But, of the white evangelicals in this group who claim to regularly attend church... Only 52% believed 
that Mormonism was not Christian. So in other words, 48% of the white evangelicals who claimed to regularly attend church said that Mormonism um, uh, wasn't Christian. That's pretty bad. That's really incredibly poor discernment. Okay? This, in, this just shows you how deluded the modern day apostate church is. The, the, I mean, talk about not doing your homework. Talk about being ignorant of Satan's devices. This indicates that the propaganda that the Mormons are a loving, family-oriented people has duped even many of those who, sh who should know better. Unfortunately, there is very little teaching in our churches on the unbiblical doctrines of cults like the Mormons. Little is also widely known of the history of the early Mormon movement. It was founded in the early 1800s by the son of a merchant farmer with considerable involvement in local witchcraft and magic. His name was Joseph Smith, and he developed an early reputation for hunting buried treasure using a magical, quote, peep stone. This was, an illegal, this was illegal in upstate New York, and Joseph was arrested, convicted of it as a with, uh, of as a misdemeanor. He was allowed to escape the area and leave. He soon claimed that he had a dream in which he was told of some golden plates by a messenger from God. Unable to produce the plates themselves, he wrote a book that he claimed was a translation of the writings on the plates. That book became known as the Book of Mormon. So now you know where the Book of Mormon came from. In a 32-page a uh, crusader comic called The Enchanter, Chick Publications has summarized the bizarre history and unbiblical teachings of this amazing deception. It details Joseph Smith's involvement in magic, witchcraft, and other occult rituals, and how Smith bullied his followers to lie about the existence of the plates. Mormon teachings, uh, Mormon teachings that contradict the Bible also are now, you know what else he was? He was a Freemason. And he stole the tricks of the trade and all the rituals of the Freemasons and incorporated them in a uh, little different twist in the Mormon religion. And ultimately when he was killed, it was speculated that um, in his, I believe he was killed in prison and that the people that killed him were actually Freemasons. And that when he died he was actually given the actual Freemason uh, universal distress signal, which is this hand signal that they do to the very Freemasons that killed him because he had stolen from that and, and started his own religion. Just one more cult. Just one more cult that, that's deceiving many. Th this um, new 32-page booklet is, can be used effectively to all ages, making the book usable to inoculate non-Mormons against this cult. It's also designed to shock Mormons themselves with the truth of their history. Like Muhammad, Joseph Smith claimed to receive revelation from God and used those revelations to solidify his power over his followers. He also used them to justify his lust for multiple wives. So this is how these, these people at these high-end religions always you know, justify things. The statistics quoted previously indicate that there is a great lack of understanding in our churches regarding Mormonism. Their squeaky clean public image hides a sometimes brutal bondage. Mormons who escape are often subjected to immediate exclusion from the Mormon church and are told that they will lose their place in the, quote, celestial kingdom. They may be shunned by family and neighbors if they live in a heavily Mormon, in a heavily Mormonized community. A wife who le leaves is, is 
doubly threatened because the Mormon women are told their resurrection depends on their husband, who has to use a secret name to call out to call them out of the grave. Unbelievable. I mean, how ludicrous is that? They've got several um, resources at Chick that debunk and refute and can educate you on these issues. Now, you've heard me quote that, that verse in Hosea 4.6. And I had a lady this week really get on me about not quoting the whole verse every single time. Normally I do quote the whole verse. So let's quote the whole verse this time. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be a priest, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Okay? So, when you are destroyed for lack of knowledge, most of the time, in many parts of the time, it's because you've actually rejected truth that has been set before you. And when you do this, you put yourself in a very precarious position in God's eyes. Now, I understand this was written in the Old Testament. Okay? But, the fact remains, we can still be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay? If somebody gave you a glass of poison orange juice, and you did not know it was poison, and you drank it, were you just destroyed for lack of knowledge? Okay, there's a lot of ways we can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And sometimes, not knowing as a Christian how to defend yourself against these religions, and I know because it happened to me as a baby Christian, I had a, well, as a Jehovah Witness, just eat my lunch, essentially. And had me all confused using an apostate Bible. I didn't know about the King James Bible. I wasn't rooted or grounded in anything at that point. And he really got me doubting. Because of the verses that they'll take you to, they take things out of context, and they really study their Bible, and they take their religion much more seriously than the, than the average Christian did. And I vowed after that happened that that wasn't going to happen to me ever again. And so, it's very important to educate yourself on these matters, as the Lord leads. So, they've got another, uh, they've got a 45-minute DVD called The Secret World of Mormonism, which you can get by Jeremiah Films. And then another 96-page book, Answers to My Mormon Friends. Uh, they've got a couple books up there that you can actually go online and read. I think they've got one of the Jehovah Witnesses, too. That you can read the whole book online, or print it out. Um, so they've got all kinds of things that, that you can do to, uh, to do that. Now, the last little thing I want to cover in this, in this battle cry for this month is it's entitled, Big Bugs uh, Give More Evidence of the Garden of Eden. For a long time, scientists have puzzled over fossil evidence that dragonflies once grew two-foot wingspans and millipedes were five feet long. Can you imagine that sucker crawling around? A five-foot-long millipede? What would you, you couldn't step on the thing. It would, like, laugh at you, probably. You know? You'd have to get, like, machetes out and stuff. I mean, I, these are big bug problems. But can you imagine a dragonfly with a two-foot wingspan? And millipedes... Ooh, can you imagine the wasps? Oh, man. You talk about a nasty sting. It'd kill you. It says, now they have discovered a possible reason. Now, this is, now, this is something that um, I highly encourage Christians to watch these videos that we're going to be talking about from Kent Hovind. Because he gets into this. And this is a very important um, subject to deal with. Uh, it says, they've now found a more possible reason, more oxygen. Insects do not have lungs to process oxygen, but they have holes in their exoskeletons. Now, an exoskeleton is like when you have an exoskeleton, you have a skeleton on the outside of your body. Whereas humans have skeletons on the insides of their bodies. Okay? 
Insects have actually their skeletons on the outsides of their bodies. And they're called exoskeletons. Okay? And through their exoskeletons, they're allowed to breathe air through these holes in their exoskeletons and to circulate the air through these hollow tubes called trachea. Air passes through the trachea directly to the cells that possess oxygen, that process oxygen into energy. The amount of oxygen available determines how far the oxygen can travel down the tube according to the scientists doing the study. Thus, with more oxygen in the air, the tubes could be longer and allow the insect to grow larger. Experiments with insects in oxygen-enriched chambers, like hyperbaric chambers, which is where you can actually create an environment of very, very high oxygen and actually increased atmospheric pressure. The present, um, when, when they did experiments of bugs or even animals in these types of chambers, it allowed them to grow much larger. The present oxygen content of the air is about 21%. A level of 31 to 35 may have been enough to grow the, ins the larger insects. This is exactly the range that other scientists have found in air bubbles in fossilized tree sap or amber. So let me explain to you what that means. When they have found these, these uh, fossilized pieces of tree sap, which turn into this stuff called amber, think about it. They see air bubbles in these things, and they're thousands of years old. What they do is they have special devices where they can drill into the amber and actually once, they, once the device hits the, the, the little air bubble in the amber, they have devices in there that can actually measure what is the chemical makeup of that environment. How much oxygen is it? How much this or that? Um, the oxygen-rich atmosphere and its reduction also can be explained what happened to the dinosaurs. Uh, as illustrated in a recent Chick track, there go the dinosaurs. A drop in oxygen levels in the atmosphere would put these huge animals in jeopardy. Their nostrils and air passages, air passages were not large enough to supply sufficient oxygen to their lungs when the oxygen, if the oxygen in the air was not was at the present levels that it is today. In other words, the reason we don't have big, gigantic dinosaurs roaming the earth today is because the oxygen level today is not what it needs to be to support a body that big. Okay, their air passages were not big enough. What happened is, is they would soon die or be limited to a much smaller size. Now, I'm going to explain this more in a second here. I'm going to go ahead and read this and try to clear up any holes in this uh, that you might be wondering about. Dr. Kent Hoven, in his Creation Seminar series, presents extensive evidence that the oxygen levels before Noah's flood was much higher, and so was the atmospheric air pressure. He explains how this not only created conditions where insects would grow much larger, but so would the other animals, and so would the other plants. He, took, he shows pictures of fossils of huge sharks, birds, turtles, cockroaches, and lizards. He goes on to describe in detail the atmospheric conditions before the flood, the catastrophic nature of the flood, and the aftermath that we live in today. Okay, so here, let me, let me just kind of simplify this for you. I think it's in tape two. He gets into, okay, how did this all happen? Okay, here's how it worked. Prior to the flood, we know that the people were living, I mean, Methuselah lived, what, it was 869? Okay, why don't we live that long now? Knowing that the Bible is true, why don't we live that long now? Well, there's a couple reasons primarily, okay? Number one, at that time, actually, three reasons. The Bible makes reference to the ferment, 
okay, which most likely was a big, gigantic ice canopy that was around the world, okay? In that ferment, what, what that ferment would do was several things. What it would do is it would, number one, filter out all the ultraviolet rays that were coming from the sun. Those ultraviolet rays, although the sun is very healthy for us, what it would also do is cause free radical production when the, when the ultraviolet rays hit our skin, which is what causes aging, Okay, we wouldn't have had to worry about any of that because that ferment was essentially filtering most of all that out. Number two, what the ferment would do is keep in the actual um, uh, oxygen in the atmosphere in a pressurized way. It would be like the world was in a big, gigantic, hyperbaric, sealed chamber where the oxygen content was about double of what it is today. Let's say it was 40% or 35 to 40%. So you've got double the oxygen content, which would also allow you to grow bigger and live longer. And the atmospheric pressure, because the ferment was around us, would be about double or triple. Because, think of it, you're in a big ice canopy, essentially around the whole world. With that increased atmospheric pressure, it would be like living in a big hyperbaric chamber 24-7, which would also greatly slow down the aging process. Okay? This is how people could grow so big and live so long. And how we could have big, gigantic dinosaurs as well. Okay? So this is um, very, very important to understand this. Now, when God sent judgment on the earth, the ferment broke up. And the, and the fountains of the deep also came up from under the ground. And the ferment broke up and it started to rain. And they probably hadn't ever, ever even seen rain before that point. And essentially, what ended up happening is, is all of this of this um, environment that we had, that had allowed life forms to exist so many years just basically broke up. The atmospheric pressure went way down, the oxygen content went way down, and there was no more ferment to fil- to filter out the ultraviolet rays. Three reasons there that when they got off the flood, yes, they probably had all of the uh, baby animals, because uh, why would you need to take a, a, a full-grown dinosaur on the ark? There was no reason to do that. They had the babies, okay, which would live longer anyway. When they got off the flood, there were certain animals in there that probably could never really fully adapt to living in the post-flood environment. Okay, and if you see, that was the very time that the life, that the life expectancy started going down, after the flood. You know, and then it got to a point where, you know, man, man was living, you know, like around 70 years and 120 max. Okay? When did that take place? After the flood. Is there any coincidence there? Well, I think the coincidence is, is, is what I just told you was the reason for that. And Ken Hovind does a much better job of documenting this, obviously, in the video than I just did. But that's, in a nutshell, that's how it works. So the question of where we came from, created by God, or evolved from primordial soup, is central to the faith of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Our culture increasingly pushes evolution as truly scientific, um, and denigrates the Bible as a collection of myths. The godless media and government school curricula are saturated with this propaganda. Christian parents are having to work overtime to counter these lies. I don't think most Christian parents even are doing anything to counter these lies. <laughs> Personally, most. Um, and teaching their children the truth. The Hovind Seminar series on DVD gives parents powerful ammunition in this fight, and it really does. Hovind spent 15 years as a high school science teacher and knows how to hold your interest. I mean, these, these tapes are great. My little girl loves them. Um, the adults love them. They're, they're just wonderful. And he's King James only. 
Uh, he's got a really good understanding of a lot of these different issues that we get into, and uh, he's been on my he was on my email list for years. Um, Ken Hoven effectively communicates an entirely different biblical worldview than what students absorb from the modern culture. Now, I will say this: Ken Hoven right now is in jail over basically the IRS uh, threw him in there, and it was over a stand he took against the IRS. So I would ask you to pray for him. Um, because, you know, he's just uh, one of the, probably the first that are going to wind up in prison for really taking a stand against what the government has done and is doing. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the end of that part there, of the battle cry. And um, we'll see about going into part three right now. May the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.